Get ready for unique, rare, and little-known treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to The Amazing World of Radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to The Amazing World of Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Happy Washington's birthday. Today, we're going to bring you a special... That was recorded for Washington's 209th birthday. The title is George Washington American, original air date, February 22nd, 1941. Let's go ahead and we'll take a listen. The name George Washington has become a symbol of liberty and freedom wherever man has read the records of history. In man's long and bitter struggle for the right to be free, for the right to govern himself, George Washington is a guiding beacon as enduring as history itself. 209 years ago today, George Washington, American, was born. To him, to his principles of freedom, of unity, of tolerance, of democracy itself, this program is dedicated. <laughs> of government, which constitutes you one people, is also now dear to you. It is justly so, for it is a main pillar in the edifice of your real independence, the support of your tranquility at home, your peace abroad, of your safety, of your prosperity, in every shape of that very liberty which you so highly prize. The name of American, which belongs to you, in your national capacity, must always exalt the just pride of patriotism more than any appellation derived from local discriminations. With slight shades of difference, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. You have in a common cause fought and triumphed together. The independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and joint efforts of common dangers, sufferings, and successes. This is a decisive hour in American history. What George Washington said almost 200 years ago is pertinent and meaningful today. For this reason, we have restored with faithful accuracy from documents, letters, and other historical records the wisdom, the ideals, the thoughts, and the hopes of George Washington for America. Playing George Washington will be the distinguished actor, writer, director, Orson Welles. story of America, a story of a people who came here to find a refuge of hope and security. I want you who live today to hear facts from an historical diary 
of one who faced a world as difficult and as troubled as your own. I want you, my countrymen, to know how we met those problems, how we faced them, and how we overcame them. It is April 19th. 1775, a fateful day in American history. First blood is shed in the American War of the Revolution. Who is it? Courier from the Continental Congress. Just a minute. What is it? Important dispatcher. Let me see it. You are hereby requested to attend the special meeting of the Second Continental Congress, which will sit in Philadelphia in May this year, 1775, for the purpose, among others, choosing a commander-in-chief of the Continental Armed Forces, signed John Hancock, President of the Congress. Gentlemen, please. The gentleman from Massachusetts, John Adams. Mr. President, members of the Congress, I believe that the Commander-in-Chief of the American Army should be a man satisfactory to all. We want Virginia to support our New England cause. Therefore, we should give our suffrage to a Commander-in-Chief from Virginia. Mr. President! The gentleman from Virginia, Edmund Randolph. I propose Colonel William Byrd, late no. commander of the Virginia Force. No. No. no! I nominate General Andrew Lewis, that gallant soldier from Virginia. No! no. no. He has neither the experience nor the ability. I protest, sir. And Order. so do I, your father. Order! President! The gentleman from Massachusetts, John Adams. Mr. President, I propose we end this bickering. I name for your consideration Colonel George Washington as Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army. Mr. President. The gentleman from Virginia, Patrick Henry. If you speak of eloquence, there are others more experienced. If you speak of solid information and sound judgment, Colonel Washington is unquestionably the greatest man on the floor. I propose we take a vote. Order, order. All in favor? Aye! Opposed? Then it is carried. Colonel Washington, this Congress has nominated you to be General and Commander-in-Chief of the Army of the United Colonies. Will you accept the position tendered you? Yes, gentlemen, I accept it. Though I'm truly sensible of the high honor done me in this appointment, yet I feel a great distress from a consciousness that my abilities and military experience may not be equal to the important trust. However, as the Congress desire it, I will enter upon the momentous duty and exert every power I possess in the service for the support of this glorious cause. Philadelphia, June 18th, 1775. 
My dearest Martha, I'm now set down to write you on a subject which fills me with inexpressible concern. I've used every endeavor in my power to avoid it. Not only from my unwillingness to part with you and the family, but from a consciousness of its being a trust too great for my capacity, and that I should enjoy more real happiness in one month with you at home than I have the most distant prospect of finding abroad if my stay here were to be seven times seven years. But as it has been a kind of destiny that has thrown me upon the service, I shall hope that my undertaking it is designed to answer some good purpose. Your affectionate husband. the Continental Congress of our nation drafted the document which I hold here in my hands. The Declaration of Independence. I'll read it to you. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect for the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And for the support of this declaration, the firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Our numbers were quite inadequate to the task of opposing General Howe, being reduced by sickness, desertion, and political deaths. We're obliged to retire before the enemy. New York, north into White Plains. We retreat across the river into New Jersey. 
across New Jersey to the Delaware. Few people knew the predicament we're in. On a thousand accounts. Fewer still would believe if any disaster happened to these lines. From what cause it flowed. I've often thought how much happier I should have been if instead of accepting a command under such circumstances, I'd taken my musket on my shoulder and entered the ranks, or if I could have justified the measure to posterity, my own conscience, and retired to the back country and lived in a wigwam. I shall be able to rise superior to these and many other difficulties. I shall most religiously believe that the finger of divine providence is in it. The hand of providence would seem to be in it indeed. For on Christmas Eve, we attacked Trenton, capturing 23 officers and 866 men. Justice to the officers and men, I must add that their behavior reflected the highest honor among them. Princeton, too, we established ourselves more firmly on the Delaware. The odds soon told. But Brandywine, our small army, was beaten and forced into retreat. Through the want of shoes and stockings, the hard, frozen ground, we might have tracked the army from White Marsh to Valley Forge by the blood of their feet. Strong symptoms of discontent appeared in particular instances. Nothing but the most active efforts everywhere could avert a shocking catastrophe. Come in. General Washington. Yes, Colonel. General Washington. The men are in a bad way, sir. 10,000 starving, frozen men. What you're asking them to do is impossible. And what you propose. Surrender on whatever terms we can get, sir. Mm-hmm. Are you cold, sir? Of course. Hungry? Yes. And discouraged? Discouraged and beaten, too, sir. Beaten? Huh. I'm cold. My home's a shelter like yours. I'm hungry. My food's no better than yours. I'm discouraged. What man wouldn't be? But beaten when with nothing but a few wooden buildings to lose. Man, there's freedom to be gained. The price is so great, sir. We've fought long and hard together, haven't we? Yes, sir. And won sometimes, too. Haven't we? Yes, sir. Why can't we win again? And if we should win again... Would the price then be too great? Would any price be too great for freedom? General Washington, tell me. Do you really think we have a chance? Do you really believe that after this thought of sacrifice, that we can hold out? Before God. Before the men who entrusted me with this command. Before all that I love. I do believe it, Colonel. I'll tell the men that, sir. 
Summer came good fortune. Burgoyne was defeated at Saratoga. We concluded a successful alliance with France. The Marquis de Lafayette. My dear Marquis, your love of liberty, the just sense you entertain of this valuable blessing, and your noble and disinterested exertions in the cause of it, conspire to render you dear to me. And I think myself happy in being linked with you in bonds of the strictest friendship. The struggle continued. 1779 and 1780. These were trying years, long and not too well endured. Intrigues and plots were formed behind my back. To Mr. Patrick Henry, dear sir, this is not the only secret, insidious attempt that has been made to wound my reputation. Error is the portion of humanity, and to censure it is the prerogative of free men. Yet my heart tells me that it has been my unremitted aim to do the best that circumstances would permit, and this only I can do. <laughs> October 19, 1781, to the President of Congress, sir, I have the honor to inform Congress that a reduction of the army under the command of Cornwallis is most happily effected. Victory is ours. Soldiers, attention! General Washington. Soldiers, I'm about to conclude these my last public orders. Take ultimate leave in a short time for military character. As I bid a final adieu to the armies I have so long had the honor to command, I can only offer in your behalf my recommendation to your grateful country and my prayers to the God of honor. May ample justice be done you here, and may the choicest of heaven's favors, both here and thereafter, Attend you who, under the divine auspices, have secured innumerable blessings for others. With these wishes and this benediction, I'm about to retire from service. The curtain of separation will soon be drawn. The military scene to me will be closed forever. <laughs> Because of my pleasure, sir, I have the honor to inform you of a plan whereby, with the support of your army, you may become monarch of this nation, to reign as King George I. What are you saying, Nicholas? We, we want you to be our king, sir. 
King of America. King. King of America. What a triumph for our enemies to verify their predictions. What a triumph for the advocates of despotism to find that we are incapable of governing ourselves and that the systems founded on the basis of equal liberty are merely ideal and fallacious. I am at a loss to conceive what part of my conduct could have given encouragement to an address which to me seems big with the greatest mischief that could befall my country. Colonel Nicola, let me conjure you then, if you have any regard for your country, concern for yourselves or posterity, or respect for me. Banish these thoughts from your mind. A country is not born into freedom without pain. The country was again to face a crisis, 1786, Shays' Rebellion. Shays was a captain in the Revolutionary Army, a farmer of western Massachusetts. The country was in the midst of depression. Prices were low. Farms were being foreclosed. Farmers were in debt. Fellows! Fellows, listen to me. We'll move on Springfield. There's a government store there. We'll get armed. Chase, what's your plan? We are after two things. A moratorium on mortgage foreclosures and cheap money so we can pay our debts. The legislature's refused to pass money bills to lighten our debts. We've got to take matters into our own hands. We've got to close down the courts and convince the judges that our farms belong to us. And only our loaded muskets will convince them. We march on to Boston and take the capital. We'll pass paper money laws. That'll cancel our debts. Wait, wait. Can we hold Boston? We have friends in Rhode Island and New Hampshire. There's no moon tomorrow. We'll all meet at the bridge. We fought for this land. A lot of us died for it. We have a right to keep it. There is no evil greater than disunion and those unreasonable jealousies which are continually poisoning our minds. We are a united people, or we are not. If the former, let us in all matters of general concern act as a nation which has a national character to support. If we are not, let us no longer act a farce by pretending to it, for while we are playing a double game, which will never be consistent or respectable, but maybe the dupes of some powers and the contempt assuredly of all. We need a new government, a union of these states on liberal and permanent principles to form a constitution that will give Consistency, stability, and dignity to the Union. This is a duty which is incumbent upon every man who wishes well to his country. In 
May 1787, the Constitutional Convention assembled in Philadelphia to revise the Articles of Confederation. I sat in the chair. James Madison, my young friend from Virginia, was the guiding spirit. Debate was acrimonious. Fifty-odd delegates were assembled. Gentlemen, we've lived under a monarchy. We were miserable. We fled from it. Our liberties were destroyed. Our rights were taken away. I agree. Some of us have lived under oligarchy. There was no freedom of any kind. We must have the right to worship God as our conscience dictates. Gentlemen, gentlemen, this time we must avoid the mistakes of others. The crisis we have lived through has shown us that we must respect the people. Discussion was long, serious, ardent. But after due deliberation, we resolved on the one form of government which was in accord with the dictates of our conscience, a government of the people. We drew up a constitution and presented the results of our meeting in a letter to a friend, a dear friend, the Marquis de Lafayette. Sir, this constitution will be a government of the people, a government in which all power is derived from and its stated periods reverts to them. The election of the different branches of Congress by the free men will be the pivot on which will turn the first wheel of the government, a wheel which communicates motion to all the rest. But the people will be right at last. These powers we're devising are so distributed among the legislative, executive, and judicial branches that it can never be in danger of degenerating into a monarchy, an oligarchy, an aristocracy, or any other despotic or oppressive form, so long as there shall remain any virtue in the people. You know, my dear friend, democratic states must always feel before they see is this that makes their government slow. But the people will be right at last. On September 17, 1787, we completed our work. The Constitution had been drawn up for the United States of America. convention, having completed its labors, is now adjourned. We must devoutly pray that the states will ratify this document and permit us to establish the United States of America among the company of nations. This is an excellent work we've done. In all our deliberations on this subject, we have kept steadily in our view that which appears to us the greatest interest of every true American the consolidation of our union, in which is involved our prosperity, felicity, safety, our national existence. That it may promote the lasting welfare of that country so dear to us all and secure her freedom and happiness is our most ardent wish. I think the people can, if they will have the advantage of experience on their side, decide with as much 
propriety on the alterations and amendments which are necessary as ourselves. I do not think we are more inspired, have more wisdom, or possess more virtues than those who have come after us. The power under the Constitution will always be in the people. Ours will be a government of accommodation, as well as a government of laws. Much is to be done by prudence, much by conciliation, much by firmness. The Constitution contained no Bill of Rights. There were murmurs of disapproval, threats to reject a new frame of government. In Virginia, there was open criticism. An elderly churchman honored me with his presence. General Washington, there is no Bill of Rights in the new Constitution. The Baptist churches insist that it be included. My dear sir, if I could have entertained the slightest apprehension that the Constitution framed in the Convention, or I had the honor to preside, might possibly endanger the religious rights of any ecclesiastical society, certainly I would never have placed my signature to it. And I could not conceive that the general government might ever be so administered as to render the liberty of conscience insecure. You're right, sir. We shall include a Bill of Rights to protect freedom of worship and freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly. in my home in Mount Vernon toward the end of 1788. General Marshall. Yes? Gentlemen, to see you. Uh, gentlemen? Uh, yeah. Mr. John Marshall and Mr. George Mason. They've arrived to give us. <laughs> A Federalist and an anti-Federalist, both keeping company. <laughs> and coming to see me is a good sign. Show in. Uh, yeah. General Washington. General Washington. Come in, gentlemen. It's good to see you. And uh, especially good to know that you both come together. We come on a mission of unity, one that of necessity brings us together because we are of the same viewpoint and intention. I don't exactly understand you, gentlemen. I may speak for you, Mr. Marshall. That you may, sir. General Washington, I have the honor to inform you that it is the unanimous decision of the Virginia Assembly to present your name for the presidency of the United States. Presidency of the United States? Surely, gentlemen, you can't be serious. Gravely serious, sir. Our state has no other man it would nominate as our first president. Hmm. First president. But I don't think I have the ability for such a task, gentlemen. Besides, since I helped advance the new government, my motives might be misconstrued. If I may say so, sir, you're a bit too modest. Moreover, the choice is unanimous, not only on our part, but on the part of every state in the Union. No other answer that I can give? There is no other answer that you can give, sir. The answer has been made for you. Mm -hmm. 
transmitted by your order and received on the 14th day of the present month, 1789. On the one hand, I was summoned by my country whose voice I can never hear, but with veneration and love, from a retreat which I have chosen to the fondest predilection. revolution and a European war had broken out. Americans were taking sides. There was bitterness and dissension in the country. Gentlemen, gentlemen, I say we must help France. France came to our aid in the dark hour of our struggle. France was... But gentlemen, I say that the revolutionary forces who now control France deserve no support from our government. We must curb their intrigues and pluck them Members of Congress, among the many interesting objects which will engage your attention, that of providing for the common defense will merit particular regard. To be prepared for war is one of the most effectual means of preserving peace. <laughs> President Washington, this is a grave hour in American history. What are your plans? I'm 64 years old. I've lived a full life. There are others who are younger and stronger now. We must carry on the burdens of our country. Then in 1796, I addressed a message to my fellow citizens. Friends and fellow citizens, in looking forward to the moment which is intended to terminate the career of my political life, my feelings do not permit me to suspend the deep acknowledgement of that debt of gratitude which I owe to my beloved country for the many honors it has conferred upon me, still more for the steadfast confidence with which it has supported me, for the opportunities I have since enjoyed of manifesting my inviolable attachment by services faithful and persevering, though in usefulness unequal to my zeal. Interwoven as is the love of liberty with every ligament of your hearts, no recommendation of mine is necessary to fortify or confirm the attachment. The unity of government which constitutes you one people is also now dear to you. It is justly so, for it is a main pillar in the edifice of your real independence. The support of your tranquility at home, your peace abroad, of your safety, of your prosperity, of that very liberty which you so highly prize. But as it is easy to foresee that from different causes, and from different quarters, much pains will be taken, many artifices employed, 
to weaken in your minds the conviction of this truth? As this is the point in your political fortress against which the batteries of internal and external enemies will be most constantly and actively directed. It is of infinite moment that you should properly estimate the immense value of your national union, your collective and individual happiness, your political safety and prosperity, watching for its preservation, my countrymen, with jealous anxiety. For this you have every inducement of sympathy and interest. Citizens by birth or choice of a common country, that country has a right to concentrate your affections. The name of American, which belongs to you in your national capacity, must always exalt the just pride of patriotism more than any appellation derived from local discrimination. With slight shades of differences, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. You have in a common cause fought and triumphed together. The independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and joint efforts, of common dangers, sufferings, and successes. Gentlemen, I'd like to speak now out of character as Orson Welles. In going over the papers and documents of George Washington, speeches to his men, his inaugural address, his farewell address, those who prepared this program found a constant devotion to the principles of national unity, a fierce and unflinching confidence in the people, a trust in Republican institutions a belief in democracy, the right of people to govern themselves, exhortations to people to fight, if necessary, to die for freedom. I believe that if Washington were alive today and were asked to select any portion of his documents which he would deliver to the American people now, it would be these lines from a letter to his very dear friend Lafayette. I read them to you before. I'd like to read them to you again. You know, my dear friend, democratic states must always feel before they can see. It is this that makes their government slow. But the people will be right at last. <laughs> Gentlemen, Orson Welles, distinguished actor, writer, director, has played George Washington, American. WNEW presented this program in the interests of American democracy. This program was under the direction of Charles Martin. Welcome back. Uh, well, a very interesting play 
uh, I think that where it differs from a lot of modern uh, attempts to address Washington is oftentimes uh, modern takes and modern uh, people, you know, when it comes to addressing Washington, it's seen as really important to identify and call out those, you know, flaws and foulings with, uh, well, this kind of glosses over it, uh, but it is a half-hour play, and uh, a little more than that, I think, actually. And I think uh, you, when you do look at a historical figure, you do need to understand their humanity, uh, their uh, flaws. But you also do need to understand the importance of the character of the person and what they actually meant to the country. And this does a really good job of portraying that with General Washington of giving you this feel of why he was so key to our country's uh, founding and even having uh, that uh, liberty. There were some stories that uh, got left out, uh, but I, I, like I said, it's a really tough thing to tell this uh, you know, sweeping story in just about half an hour. Now, one thing that might seem odd about this is that this play was being done on the occasion of the 209th birthday, which kind of seems like an odd number to commemorate. Uh, But this was in 1941, and this was an interesting era where we were not yet, uh, uh, as Americans, at war. But there was a sense that this was a definite possibility, and a sense of national unity and national purpose was uh, critical. So you had a lot of programs scheduled to reinforce that uh, as our country was on the brink of entering World War II. Well, uh, this will be all for today. Uh, We will begin a new series on uh, Wednesday uh, as we celebrate the 100th, not the 109th, uh, birthday of Jack Webb. Coming up in April, we're starting a series Uh, featuring a lot of different radio performances by Jack Webb. I think uh, if you like uh, Jack Webb and want to know more about his his career uh, in history, I think you're going to enjoy that. We'll have some uh, very interesting programs ahead over the next six weeks, and that'll be every Monday and Wednesday starting on uh, this coming Wednesday, so be sure and listen to that then. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.